Welcome back to the Fire Drill. On this week's episode, Matt Janella joined us. So it was Michael, Alan, myself, and Matt. And we started off a conversation uh, and really talked a lot about VJ. And it really went a lot of places like the Fire Drill is supposed to do, places that I didn't expect. Matt tells some stories about a photo shoot. We obviously talk uh, deer antler spray because you can't talk VJ without deer antler spray. Who knew? I didn't know that you put it under your tongue, but I learned that today. Um, yeah, but we talked a lot about his career and good things, bad things. It was really very interesting. One of those moments when I'm on this podcast that I kind of uh, sit back and try to listen because it's great stories from guys who have had firsthand experience, Alan and Michael and, and, and Matt with him. So it was great. Talked about PNC, obviously, um, and Tiger and Charlie and, and and just all the things that come with it. it Tiger as a father, uh, Tiger's place in the game, uh, Charlie's place in the game that we all need to chill the F out. Uh, about like everything that, that Charlie does. Um, we, we don't need to be that into Charlie. There can be a level of interest without a stalker situation. Uh, and then lastly, uh, we talked about OWGR. Uh, Matt had put out a tweet um, a little bit to go maybe last week that kind of went a little bit sideways at times. Um, and he came on to kind of explain his thoughts. And we all joined in about OWGR and, and what it looks like in the future. So it was a, a great debate, uh, four of us instead of three uh, this week. Before we get into the actual podcast, obviously want to thank our two great sponsors that help us do this. Dormy Workshop, awesome head covers, artisanal, got to use that word, every week. Uh, great club, club covers, uh, putter covers, head covers, awesome stuff. Appreciate their support. And par points, uh, go make par, awesome way to a different an awesome way to keep score on the golf course. I know it's hard to break out of something that you're used to, but please go try it because it really is a very cool way to go score. Uh, Par Points is great and a great supporter of us. And then uh, lastly, a uh, new podcast that we've that uh, Fire Pit is doing, Need a Fourth, awesome guest with a famous putter, gentle fella, uh, he well worth your time going to be an awesome one a great guest coming up we just talked off uh air per se about upcoming guests for this show and it is very very cool um so all of that being said go to our youtube page subscribe like you know all those annoying things that people ask you to do all the time and you don't listen to them please do that please go subscribe to our youtube channel subscribe to our podcast uh like comment do all the things and then i'll stop saying that the more you do that the less i'll say it and we can all just move on with our lives so we put out a lot of great content podcasts and shows and all sorts of stuff so go check that out at the fire pit collective youtube channel these podcasts are on there also and without further ado here's the four of us this week talking golf i got thoughts in my head can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. Hello, and welcome back to the Fire Drill Podcast. This is Alan Shipnuck. I am joined by Michael Bamberger and Ryan French, as always. And we have our um, our colleague, Matt Janella, who wanted to come on. He uh, he was under some bridges battling various trolls and thought we'd have a, 
uh, a more thoughtful discussion about the topic at hand, which was the the world rankings and whether or not the Fiber Collective is a shill for Live Golf. Um, <laughs> uh, but we will we will start with the in the event of the day. I mean, it's it's a goat factory out here. We had we started with Lionel Messi winning the World Cup. Then we roll into Tiger and Annika playing in, at the. Uh, parent and son you can't call the father son if Annika's there and uh of course we got tom brady playing football later today it's quite a, a sports day um this is not a soccer podcast so we don't have to go deep on that but um tiger and charlie did not make a run uh, they're both a little banged up but it was it was fun to see them out there it was i loved watching vj Singh bring it home with his son i remember when his son Cass was like uh, early teenager now the dude's in his 30s and um they, they finally won it for the first time after two decades and it was it was just fun to watch vj do his thing but obviously all eyes were on tiger and charlie um what did you guys think of of, of how how the, the woods is performed i think first of all that the pga tour if they could have picked a worse storyline to happen <laughs> i'm not sure vj and and his son winning i mean they're like no like they're having no fun they're like in full grind mode like typical things out there like vj is full grind i tweeted <laughs> like they probably went to the range after they won and like pounded balls for a while like it was full grind mode it was like you know but i mean it was great to see the woods i love the dailies but of all storylines that could have happened the sings probably was not on the top of the pga tours list uh, I, I don't agree, and Alan already knows why. VJ is always sticking it to the man, and anytime he wins, he's sticking it some more, and I like it. <laughs> yeah, does, does VJ's career money list include the settlement he earned from the PGA Tour for, <laughs> from the deer antler spray, so non-suspension, you know, non-suspension? I mean, that, that probably bumps him up a couple notches. Matt, what was your take? I'm, I'm sort of with Michael. I, I, I think, you know, is is VJ, you know, my favorite player that I've ever met or spent time with or worked with? You know, I've got everybody has their own at all what our opinions of like players always comes down to like our own experiences, you know, right? And and I have one terrible story about uh VJ Singh and how he treated a photographer at Golf Digest, Steve Zerley, who is is a lifetime committed member of the world of golf media and has tirelessly covered this game for more than better part of you know, four decades. And VJ really treated him poorly on a golf digest cover shoot. And that always stuck with me. Like I can't forgive him for it. Like I just can't, it, you know, and I've heard that VJ is actually a decent dude. If you're on the, in the inner circle, it's a little bit like tiger, the way he treats the inner circle. If you're in, you're in, if you're out, you're out. Um, you know, I just have that one story that always lives with me on how he treated a guy like Steve Zerley, who didn't deserve it. One of the best people ever. But Matt, you got to tell us what happened. Yeah, I mean, come on, give it up. Oh well, it was Golf Digest cover shoot. I was the you know the director of photography, so I'm coordinating with the agent on the front end. Hey, you know, here's here's where they're meeting. Here's where it's going to be. It's it was practice round of a of a tour event you know, say it was a Tuesday before an event and he was going to give Zerley some time and again, a cover shoot and Zerley's request to me to communicate to the agent was, Hey, you know, given, uh, uh, VJ's, you know, specific color of his skin and how dark he is. And in trying to make the cover shoot look as good as it could be without 
the the without adding any light because we were doing it outside. He wanted to do it outside during the practice round. He he the the request was no, you know, black or white visors, no black or white shirt because that contrast was going to be really hard to make uh, look good in a in a, on a cover shoot. So it was like, hey, can you just bring different color shirts or visors? Um, and at the end of the round where, where he was going to go change and get, you know, he came out with a white shirt and a black visor. And Steve was like, Hey, um, Hey man, any chance we can get, I thought we communicated that there was, this is going to make it really hard with this light to try to get light, you know, no, this is what I'm wearing. Okay. Well, you know, you do see that this, we're trying to make this as good as possible. This is what I'm wearing, you know, uh, but if there's any chance, okay, how about this? What if we, what if we do the cover shoot without the visor and on the inside for the swing sequence that was generally tied to a cover shoot, you can wear the visor inside. He goes, Hey man, I make more for this wearing this visor than you will in your entire career. I'm wearing the visor, you know, drop that line. I'm wearing the visor. This is what I'm wearing. And that's what we're doing. And, you know, at that point, you know, Steve's, Steve's just trying to, to make it look, you know, it had been cute again in the front. Of, like that to me is just being a dick, right? At that point, that's like using the line. Like, do you know who I am? Like if you're dropping those kinds of lines, I'm, I'm where make, I can make more for this than what, and then it just, it's the whole thing that just, and I think, you know, and we're just trying to make them look good, right? We're just trying, everybody's got in theory, the same goal, which is to try to make him, you know, so I don't know that just, I'm not sure there's another player out there who, where there's this big a gap between how the players feel about him and how the fans and media feel about him because most of the players really like VJ partly because he's like the, the, he was forever was the de facto swing coach on tour. Like if guys were struggling, they'd go talk to VJ. He was so knowledgeable and he was generous with his time and you'd see him working with different players and he'd be on the the practice green sharing his little weird putting aids. And I think there's actually a lot of VJ loyalists. They, they like that he stood up to Tiger. He stood up to Phil. You know, they famously went jaw to jaw in the champions locker room at, at the Masters, VJ and Phil. And and there was no love lost between, between VJ and Tiger. And I think players appreciated that while everyone else was retreating, you know, VJ wasn't afraid of Tiger, and he actually he got the better of him a few times during peak Tiger era. So, uh, VJ I think has a lot of respect among his peers. But yeah, the fans have never warmed up to him. There's he was he's never been uh, a favorite among the typing class. So it's just it's fascinating. I don't think VJ is too bothered by any of that. As you said, he's he's got all the money in the world, and he's got the trophies, and he just he does DGAF, which on some levels kind of I respect. I, I I certainly respect him. I, I I when I first joined Morning Drive, now ten years ago, it was right around the time of the deer antler spray incident, and I was I was kind of bewildered by the idea that a guy of VJ stature and all that you know and where where they were with the game would put something like deer antler spray under his tongue without running it by a few people just to make sure that they. <laughs> that the contents of it weren't going to come up as, you know, something that, that the tour was, uh, you know, banned as a, as a substance, you know, it was like, really, we're going to go with deer antler spray and just like, you know, 
just without without running it by a few people. I mean, I kind of like poked at him for that, and I don't think he appreciated. It. But you know, I've had a couple. You know, I've crossed paths with them from time to time. Certainly, the Pure Insurance, where where the Champions Tour. I love that event, and you know, he's he's been nice to me. But I that that story about how he how he treated Steve and what he said to Steve, and as a director of photography and in the camp of photographers and knowing how selfless and behind the scenes they are and what they go through to carry those, that equipment and get into position and try to make the players look good in shoots like that. It's like, that just seemed unnecessary and dickish to me. Right. Well, the opposite of that is in in the early SI days, photographers told Arnold Palmer, Hey, wear a red sweater. It looked great on the cover and already showed up in a red sweater. (laughs) You know, he he got it. It's showbiz. Yellows, Uh, reds, you know, you know, contrasting colors. It's it's like the queen always wears those bright colors. So you could spot in a crowd. It's kind of the same principle applies. What were you gonna say a minute ago, Michael? No, I was going to ask Ryan, if you ever actually used deer antler spray. (laughs) Yeah, always. (laughs) He may be our only hunter. Yes. Worth some, I don't know. (laughs) Yes. I don't see ships that can be doing a lot of hunting. Matt, I don't know about it. <laughs> Have you it's is the is it basically a urine? What it, I don't even know. I don't, don't, I don't even people know. People used to say there there is a there was a GNC right near the uh right near the entrance to that uh to that stadium course, whatever they call it, TPC Sawgrass. And VG's, you know, back in the day when VG was just getting bigger and stronger and hitting, you know, literally five hundred balls a day. Uh, he would just go there and point at stuff, and you know they would take it down off their shelves, and he'd go out there with their shopping cart. And so I think he was, to your question, Matt, I think he was pretty indiscriminate. I did have a funny thing where I was at uh, a bookstore in Augusta, Georgia, the week of the Masters. It's just the Barnes and Noble there, I think off of Bobby Jones Expressway, actually. And VJ was wandering around, and so I was like, "Oh, cool!" So I kind of like low key stalked him to see what he was going to buy. Hoping it might be some erotica or something, but he went right to the <laughs> sports section and he was flipping through the the golf books and he went he wound up buying like three books. Sadly, um, it wasn't mine or yours, Michael, but it was it was interesting. Like he he really looked at the books with some care and he he read the back flaps and um and uh, I, I think it was, I think it was a Hogan biography if I remember correctly, and it was a kind of a coffee table book about like the great holes of golf, and I just thought it was kind of cool. Like Michael Augustus is a little boring during Masters Week, and there he was uh, just walking book. around the bookstore. No, it just so happens though. Yeah, so when I caddied on the European Tour in '91, he played a lot of practice for for a golfer named Peter Teravainen. and VJ played a lot of rounds of golf with Peter, practice rounds and, and tournament rounds. So I got to know VJ then and you know, to the point we're all making, he's always been quote nice to me, except for when he's treated me like absolute dirt. So that's happened too. Uh, but anyway, uh, it just, well, we may be overdoing it on VJ, but I think it's astounding how good his swing was today. I've seen him swing poorly in the past few years. Like it didn't have the speed that it had now, but he looks strong. Uh, I mean, looks the same really. And supple. I mean, such a long swing. I mean, it's just, it's one of my favorite swings ever. And uh, it's funny, we all probably all have like certain swings burned into our brains that we, we got to watch up close. I, one of the most majestic golf swings I've ever seen was at Whistling Straits when, when Singh won that PGA. And it was in the playoff. They went to the 17th hole, that long par three. And um, he was just kind of on the left side of the tee box. I was on this little little hill above it. He's just framed by the lake. And he hit 
it was just the most beautiful swinging I've ever seen. And he just held the finish for so long. I said, I don't know where that ball's going, but that's the best golf swing I've ever seen in my entire life. And of course, get it stiff. And that was kind of the key to the to winning that playoff and winning that PGA championship. But like that is just yeah. burned into my memory. It was so majestic. And it just like the arc of the club, it looked like it traveled about 20 feet and the rhythm and the grace and the power. I mean, peak VJ was absolutely incredible. Absolutely for, agree. For someone without, uh, without great without great putting. I was just gonna say that. For a mediocre putter to win nine times, knock Tiger from number one, win the PGA, like, um, and don't forget that sixty three he dropped on Tiger in Boston to take over number one that year. That they're deep. playing together. That's one of the all time great head to head rounds. So, yeah, it, it was kind of fun to think about VJ. I hadn't thought about him in a long time, but uh, yeah, this is a VJ appreciation podcast. Apparently, Matt was his guy. Darren was his not Darren Clark. Um, Clark Jones. Was that his uh, agent back then? At the time, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, and 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 spent a lot of t- you know had, had a lot of and Sergio Garcia, Clark Jones was Sergio Garcia, yeah, the, the um, did a lot of work with Clark at that time, and VJ was tricky. Uh, they're all they all have their own their own little quirks about them. Um, I got a ton of stories because those photo shoots uh, lent themselves to a, to a lot of. A great anecdotal stuff. Um, but I, I, I will say just to go back to the event itself and I know Michael, you're going to, you're going to write about it, but boy, if, 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 if this isn't the best, ver- if Tiger as a father, isn't the best version of Tiger, I mean, clearly he's, he's an elite competitor and he, you know, 82, 15, that we'll never, <laughs> we're never going to see that again, but, but this vulnerability, the vulnerable Tiger that talks about what his kids meant to him in his recovery and what they said to him and how it mattered and, and all that him sort of on the verge of emotions in an, in an interview. I mean, that is it to me, you know, and again, we all have our own incidents or anecdotes about tiger himself, but it's just the best tiger. It's the tiger that for me as a dad now, you know, I started, early with tiger as a, as a photo editor at sports illustrated, I was on shoots with him. He was really socially awkward. He was, he was stiff. He's rigid. You know, his jokes only were funny to the people, you know, that, that sort of were in his, you know, paid or on salary. Uh, there was a lot of awkwardness about him. Uh, but boy, this, this version of him, when he's willing to sort of have these open conversations, about being a father and watching him interact with his son, not unlike what we watched when Earl interacted with Ty, a young tiger. It's just very, that's the most compelling aspect of where we're at with tiger by far for me. And, uh, and I like seeing it in other fathers and sons, or I even like, you know, Nelly to me is, is, um, is incredible. And, and, uh, you know, and, worth all the the hype and the attention as it relates to her swing and her 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 conviction and personality and competitive nature i I can't wait to see where she goes but anyway just the mashup of all of that this week was really really cool stuff i said it a couple weeks ago when we were talking about tiger is you know i like tiger more after the scandal if that makes sense because i think he's grown as a person and this week kind of sums that up like he was a flawed human, still a flawed human, and but has grown and only his kids and his girlfriend and 
people around him will be the judge of, of what kind of person he is. And it seems from the outside that he's a great father. And, uh, and uh, I think that's at the end of the day, all that matters. Quick note on the parent child. I know this will never happen because Charlie Woods will grow up and Tiger and Charlie will play forever, but it should be either you have to play with your father or you have to play with a kid who's under 15, right? Like, I don't I don't know if VJ and his former pro son is that a great of a story. You know, I mean, the guy used to play on the European tour. So, I don't know. There should just be an age limit on the kid part of it. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. Um but like like you said, Matt, I mean, Tiger hit a couple of electric shots during the first round like that that long pitch off the the pine straw. That was that was so vintage, but um the most memorable thing I think he did across two days of competition was they were the post round press conferences and seeing seeing that softer side and seeing that chemistry and we kind of we just started to hear Charlie's voice right like you know this is they've kind of slowly been unveiling him to the world and so it's fun to hear Charlie talk about his dad and um, it it really I would say for all the Nike ads and all the Buick ads you name it this has been the single best brand building exercise there is for Tiger. Not not to be cynical about it, but I mean because it clearly comes from the heart. But uh, to to see a softer side of Tiger and and that we can all relate to that. You know what? You know I watch my daughter play basketball. My heart's like just bursting, and you know we all have competed alongside uh, kids or parents or whatever it is. So to imagine how special that feels for them, it's really uh, it's cool that Tiger lets it out. He's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to he's not trying to make it anything other than what it is, which is a really special part of his life and his career. And I, I think other than maybe the masters and the open, I think this is probably the most meaningful week of the year for tiger. And, and that's cool. The other thing is, it's also, it's another feather in the cap of the game of golf. And Jordan made that comment about how in the locker room, you've got these kids and these, these, these grizzled legends, you know, uh, in the same lo- competitive locker room, but having played in the car golf's father son at Waterville for years now and then the father daughter as well and watching you know these titans of industry you know whether it's Dermot Desmond or JP McManus or there's been Dan Marino or Wayne Gretzky or all these you know uh Jeff Yang has played it there's so many uh, pl- people who have showed up in Waterville and competed in this event um from all different sort of walks of life and that the game is that great equalizer that sort of uh, levels the 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 ego playing field out a bit and you watch fathers who aren't as good as their sons or as they're good as their daughters and you watch them it just it's like it's just the best version not it just brings out the best in people, I think it's when you start mixing generational stuff up around this competitive landscape, it tends to, I, I don't know, it just, this is a, a good reason why we look forward to this event. It's why we look forward to events that in, involve either our fathers or our sons or daughters, or we watch, you know, yeah, I don't know. It just, there's something about that and the game that no other sport really is able to accomplish and uh, so that in itself also deserves to be noted in my opinion that's well said and and just a quick note on on uh, tiger's uh, other child is his uh 
everyone knows he's got an older daughter, Sam, and she was, I think she's shy by nature. It's, you know, we've all seen her around a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the, the son, Charlie is kind of a ham and outgoing and, and that's delightful, but she's just a different personality. But at the uh, hall of fame induction where she introduced her father, she was so poised and so intelligent and funny and insightful. And, um, and it's neat. Uh, I don't think any of us would ever want to trade places with Tiger Woods. I mean, we're all, I know we all take being fathers uh, very seriously ourselves. Uh, Ryan is Tiger's age and has, uh, like Tiger, a, a son and a daughter. And, uh, you know, we have the advantage of raising our children in anonymity. And uh, it's a much, much, much better way to grow up. Uh, Tiger, of course, doesn't have that. And those kids won't have that. So, there are challenges. We can never really understand it, but to, to see, and we just see little glimpses, but to see glimpses of these kids that seem to be very well-adjusted, happy, intelligent, caring kids, it's really is a great tribute to Tiger. Cause I think of Tiger, I think of Tiger as a, I like to think that I have a lot of empathy for Tiger. And in my mind, and I wouldn't say this of Jack or Arnold and various others, I think he's had a very, very trying, difficult life. So I think it speaks very well for for Tiger and definitely for Elin as well to see these kids uh, uh, coming out uh, when they do make these public appearances um, as as they do. And I think Elin d- deserves some credit too, right? Because <laughs> these kids are obviously got they've got some really uh, good balance from from where we sit and what we see. They've got some pretty nice, uh, good, uh, you know, head on their shoulders, so to speak. It seems to me, they seem pretty well grounded and rounded. You know, we'll we'll see how it all evolves. But boy, I mean that that to me, uh, considering what Tiger has been going through and has dealt with, and Tiger being Tiger, uh, for these kids to be who they are in this these situations and with microphones in front of their faces or leading their uh, the the charge of their father into the world golf hall of fame it's pretty it's pretty impressive and i think she deserves a, a big chunk of credit for that too i i also think that the fascination with charlie needs to like tone down a bit as a yeah, general think. media <laughs> like i mean a brendan Prath said it best like the pga tour took a picture of his divot patterns and and brendan's tweet underneath of it was like it just said for fuck's sake you know is it's divot patterns and it's like it i mean it's it's like again you, he's never going to be his father it's impossible like just let the kid live I, I get the interest i understand it and i'm all for it for a week at a time but let's just chill i mean the kid is 13 and he's like the 150th best player in florida or something like he's a very good player he's got a great swing but just i don't think we need to take pictures of his divot pattern okay like just Take a breath. There's a there's a fine line between stalking a 13 year old and interest in Tiger Woods's kid. Like, let's find that. Totally agree. That's well said. I mean, I, I was I was explaining the interest in Charlie to someone who's not really a golf fan, and she said, "Isn't that like a lot of pressure? Why is he even doing that to his son to make him play in this event?" And I said, "Well." You could try and if you're Tiger, you can try and give your kids a normal childhood, but it's impossible anyway. And especially if one of them is into golf, like, like there's no scenario where where Charlie Woods can have a normal childhood. It's just not in the realm of of, of human existence. So I think it makes sense. They're kind of slowly introducing him to performing and and 
you know, obviously Tiger's doing interviews with his favorite people like Sanzi and it, it's still a pretty controlled environment. And it's kind of this, this year by year evolution. And, uh, I, I don't think you can, it just, it, if Charlie wants to play golf and clearly he does, I mean, unfortunately his last name is woods and people are going to pay attention. So I, I think they're doing a pretty nice job of, of bringing him along slowly. And, uh, it doesn't seem like he's out there grinding on the, the, um, the, the, the big time junior golf circuit and he just kind of does his thing. And, um, I think it's commendable. There's, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but I, I, I appreciate the restraints, you know, like, uh, I'm sure he, Charlie could have already committed to Stanford by now if they wanted to make that announcement, you know, there's, but they're just, they're keeping things low key. And, uh, I, I, I think that's probably the right path for him. Yeah. I don't think it's Tiger's fault. I think it's media. I, I, I mean, again, most of it is the PJ tour. And again, I, I, there just is a fine line. I'm, I'm, I understand he's your best player. I understand you got to promote him, but there's just a line. The kid's 13 years old. Like, let's just, let's just chill out here for a minute. So Matt, the reason we wanted to have you on, uh, especially this week, and we are, I think as, as this fire drill podcast evolves, we'll have more and more of our, our colleagues um, pop on just to keep things fresh and, and offer some different perspectives, which, which is always a great thing. But um, you put out a, a tweet about the world ranking, you know, on the occasion of Dustin Johnson falling out of the top 40, which is obviously a joke because there's not, there's not 39 players on the planet better than Dustin, um, no matter how you slice it. But um, it, it created a lot of engagement, a lot of conversation. Why don't you recap your stance on the world ranking and then how things escalated from there? Well, it was just that. I just, you know... I tend to shoot first and then ask questions later, but (laughs) the, the, you know, I saw a tweet out Dustin Johnson fell out of the top 40, according to the official world golf rankings. And it was like, um, well, this just the optics of this just doesn't make any sense. I, you know, I, Dustin Johnson is Dustin Johnson. I I played with him at Adair Manor. He is definitely better than than forty players roaming the planet. And if the official, if there's such a thing as the official world golf ranking, and it's not, you know, and he's not in the top forty, there may be something. There, there may be a flaw in the system. <laughs> and it was literally like, I just this doesn't make any sense to me. And then you know, if you do some deep dive into the official the official world golf ranking and you see who's on the board and you see the criteria and you see that it, you know, sort of got changed as of August that, you know, continues to make it more difficult for, you know, one could argue not just the live tour, but other tours to try to get points. The system may need, may need another overhaul. And, you know, I listened to uh, the Fried Eggs podcast. Garrett Morrison had a statistician, uh, Joe Lamagna, I believe is the way he pronounces his name, on, who was tremendous. He was It was a great podcast, um, and it was very informative. And, you know, I listened to it after I made the comments because a lot of people, uh, you know, it escalated because, you know, people getting personal and then t- accusing us of being shills for live, like I, I, that's easy to dismiss because we're obviously not that. We are not, we are not pro, uh, we're not pro live uh, and we're not pro tour. We're just pro truth and sensibility. That's the way I like to look at who we are. Our collection of 
Perspectives offers just that, a collection of perspectives based on who we are, our sensibilities, and our, you know, sort of what we want for a game that we all love. We that that that's that's also at the core of who we are as a company, is a is a collection of people who generally love this game of golf for a wide variety of reasons. From the professional standpoint, to me, if you're gonna have something called the official world golf ranking, and it's not ranking the world of competitive golf, then there's a problem with it. Now you can say is live competitive. And now I think there's issues with uh, there's uh, there's uh, these are two separate conversations. What is live and what is their purpose? What is the official world golf ranking and what is its purpose? What is the PGA Tour and what what role does the tour have in controlling all of this? And then th- then there's extensions to that that I have issue with, and the tour's control over media and the narrative around the the sport, the lack of transparency around the game. We don't find out what why people get fined or or or, or suspended. You know, that th- all of that. There's a, there's a lot to unpack, and so as it relates to the official world golf ranking, I think you know, and live and whether or not, you know, I think both, both need to move in order to make this a system that works for the greater good of the game and competitive golf. Uh, and that's just what I believe. And, and that, you know, it, it, that's, it's, you know, it is complicated and it's not easy to answer or to come up with a scenario that, uh, accounts for all of this. But I, I think, Making you know the criteria of having a cut seventy two holes for majority events, having a weighted period, having field of seventy five or more, uh, having an open qualifying process. You can go through each one of those and 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 argue the merits of each one of those as it relates to the official world offering. But at the end of the day, out of the gates, based on who's on the board. And the fact that it calls itself OWGR official world golf ranking. And you got a bunch of really good players who are, who are falling down that ranking system because they're not playing in an event that mats, mats those criteria. I think there there's, there's issues to take with a lot, a lot of it and all of it and on both sides. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good overview. I mean, I think the strong reactions to your tweet, it's just part of a larger issue in modern life and especially social media. Like, there's you have to pick a side you have to pick a side immediately and you have to defend it to the death no matter what <laughs> and um so it's like when live has been so polarizing i i think all of us to a large degree are, are trying to play it down the middle where we you know i've said this before i don't know if on this podcast or elsewhere but my idea of balance is to be critical of both sides and i think i've done that of the tour and of live i've also celebrated their uh, their breakthroughs and, and their, their good ideas. But um, it's just like, it, if, if, if you don't, if you don't stake out a very black and white position, it confuses people, I think. And so the fact that, that we're trying to see the nuance and we're trying to be balanced and um, almost like upsets folks because they just, they want to know which camp you're in. Are you on my side or the other side? It's us versus them. And that doesn't leave a lot of, of, of room for, for subtlety and for discussion. So that, that was just the latest example. I, I think uh, the, the very strong reaction to your tweet and, and the, the accusations that, you know, we're working for live, which is obviously ridiculous for those who bother to listen to the podcast and read the stories and don't just live in the Twitter sphere. But 
I'd, I'd love to hear Ryan's take too. I mean, I, I and, and, and I know I've heard bits and pieces of it, but as it relates to the other two, and, and the other thing is, is I generally am in the corner of the little guy, the dreamers. And that's, you know, that, that's another podcast I'm working on. That's in defense of a tweet I sent out or I was on a, a podcast and it got stripped out and I'm going to do a club pro podcast and, 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 you know, I'm dropping that next week, but I wanted to hear Ryan's perspective on all of this as it relates to official world golf ranking and, and, and the trickle down effect of what the new criteria has is going to have on other tours beyond live. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys, you know, a live, I think it's pretty obvious eventually needs to get it, whether they have to adjust or meet in the middle. I mean, it, we talked, the three of us talked Matt on a couple weeks ago, it's like if if Cam Smith falls down the Dustin is a great example, but Cam Smith nowadays is even a better example. It's like he's gonna eventually fall down the the rankings. Now he just won so on a OWGR tour, but like if he falls down, then it just becomes a joke at some point. Like you know, you're not better than if the if he falls down to seventh, the sixth ranked guy knows he's not better than than Cam Smith, and it becomes a joke as it's you know slowly becoming. So they have to adjust. But as an overall thing, you know, I mean, the guys on the Asian tour, um, guys on the European tour, and you're seeing top guys like Rom talk, uh, you know, talk about it. And, uh, I mean, Travis Smith won on the one on the Asian tour and got, I think, four point four seven points, or maybe it was Andy who won. And it's like, it's, it, you know, everyone thinks it's a joke at this point, or there's at least very big frustrations, right? Like these guys, like Travis Smith has tried to make it here and, you know, hasn't got through Q school. Asian is a tour is a place to play. And if he plays well, he should be rewarded for it. And, um, you know, if the, with the new changes to OWGR, uh, not giving as many points to these foreign tours, you know, it's, it's tough. And, and, and I think it hurts the world game in general because, Maybe it was inflated over in the tour, but I mean, Tom Kim is a great example. Tom Kim became a known name because of OWGR. He got in the top 100 playing overseas and playing on the Korean tour and, and playing on the Asian tour and getting in the top uh, 100 in the world, then eventually coming over here. And now he's a huge part of what the PGA Tour is doing right now. If he is facing the same points, problems that the players are now, do we ever hear of Tom Kim? You know, he, he would have never, he, it's almost impossible to get in the top hundred playing the Asian tour right now. So, you know, and, and these guys, Michael and Alan have talked about it more. I mean, like it was, it was brought up to, it was made up basically. So is there just a better exploded altogether and just find a better way? Or as Michael has said, is it just get rid of it and figure out a way to let the majors just decide for themselves what are the uh, parameters to get in the four majors? Yeah, I mean, all the rankings are, are created by humans. So whether it's the, the Sagarin rankings or it's Data Golf or it's the world rankings, the official world rankings, someone has to decide what's going to go into the, the, the algorithm. And uh, there's debates and there's public comments and there's votes and there's meetings. But ultimately, it comes down to humans making those decisions. And that's so all three of those rankings are, are different. They, they, they're each a snapshot of who's playing the best at any given moment, but they have their own biases and, and flaws. And so um, it's just because the ranking exists 
in, in one way, it doesn't mean it, it's the right way. It can always be tweaked and improved in the history of the OWGRs. They're always changing it. And so maybe they, the pendulum swung too far and they, they do need to tweak it. So just because it is, doesn't mean it's the right way. People kind of be like, well, that's, it's the ranking. That's what it is. Well, it's, it's changeable. It's fixable. It's tweakable. And um, so anyway, what were you going to say, Mike? As Alan and I and others have said many times, it was a marketing ploy by a very clever man, uh, Mark McCormick, who was the founder of IMG, to get his international players into events in the first place. Dean Beeman explained that to me the other day. So like, we know why the American Constitution was written, and it was sound. The reason why this thing started in the first place is not sound. And then as to, to Alan's point, uh, with all, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but, you know, it seems like there's two numbers, a dot, and then many decimal places after that. It, it makes it sound like it's scientific. As Alan just pointed out, there's no science behind it. And just as you can't compare Walter Johnson and Bob Gibson, you can't compare a wide open golf course uh, in somewhere in, in Asia with, you know, something that they're playing, let's say Colonial with the rough up uh it's folly. The whole thing is folly. And now David said half is a joke, but maybe half seriously. Just get rid of it altogether. It really does not serve a purpose. It's really just on the basis alone. It's impossible. It is impossible to rank players playing all over the world in all sorts of different conditions under uh, under uh, with different quality of fields. It's an impossible task. It's a fool's errand. And I don't really see how it's serving golf at all and i think that the live pga tour event and if uh we're getting paid by saudi arabia by the live tour matt's holding out checks from me so if we got any checks from the live tour matt i'll i'll send my address because everyone says <laughs> okay. we're shills but <laughs> ryan's eager to sell out but no yeah. there's no buyers yeah, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> fine with selling out <laughs> i mean if they have monday qualifiers and they're like two million <laughs> anyway uh the um the uh I, I mean the pettiness on both sides of this fight obviously the live tours but if you're the PJ tour and and you sit on that board of the OWGR Pelly and 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 the PJ tour and can't look at that without any who you're on what side you're on and know that you're a, a biased ranking system then then we need someone else to to take care of the official rankings. Like you can't just sit on there and say, "Hey, here's all the people," and like they shouldn't get any. Now, what if they adjust? Are you still going to say they're not going to? They shouldn't get any because, again, the pettiness makes me concerned about OWG. It makes me concerned about the future of golf in general. But just pertaining to OWGR, if you if you sit on the board of the OWGR and look across at the field of the live tour and don't think that they should, maybe they need to adjust. I'm not saying they don't need to adjust. If you look at that field and don't think there should be some way that they are included in the rankings, then I don't know what to tell you. You're not looking at it objectively. I don't like the live tour. I've said it many times, but they have a good field and they probably deserve some world ranking points. However, that comes to be. And if you can't think that, then you're not thinking straight. Like if you're accusing me of being a live uh, shill, you know, you're being a PGA Tour shell or a whatever shell, or you hate live shell because I don't like live. I despise the uh, the the political. I despise the format, all that stuff. 
it still includes some of the best golfers in the world. There is no argument. You can't argue that. And so to say that they shouldn't get some based on that on, on how many holes they play and all that it's ridiculous uh, well to say they can't play on the pj tour and you can't get points you, can, you like how many more like, and we're on the board where i'm on the board jay monahan's on the board like what how many layers of like dysfunction do you have to reveal before you're like yeah maybe this isn't probably the right system either you know what i mean <laughs> I, right, well, I do have I do have some reporting on this because I was speaking on the phone with a member of the OWGR board. Ooh, ooh. You know, it's the it's mm. the inner sanctum. Uh, they don't want their name used publicly, but this person said that despite all the mudslinging and the name calling, there's actually a lot of communication between the institution of the OWGR and Live Golf, and things are happening. And um, he he didn't think it was going to be resolved uh, publicly by the time of the masters, but it sounds like shortly thereafter, I think there's going to be some, there will be some changes whether, and I get the feeling it's on both, both from live, but more from the OWGR and how they're going to, they're going to deal with live and that some sort of solution is being brokered. And it sounds like the conversations are productive and, you know, he said the institution is succeeding in that the WGR has criteria. They, ha- they have comment periods. They have conversations with many tours around the world. And it's a, it, there's give and take about what these tours can do to qualify. What, what And he said it's no different. And so even though li- I don't think Live, wa- Live wants it publicly is that it, it's a closed shop and it, it's a they're aligned against us and they're screwing us over that – the reality is there, there's a lot of communication going on and that the OWR is trying to find a solution. Now this, this was one, this is one member of the board. I didn't, um, but I have no reason to doubt what he's telling me. And um, it gives a little context to this. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but um, I don't think we're going to get to December, you know, a year from now, I don't think we're still going to be talking about this. There will have been some sort of meeting of the minds and, and, one step towards kind of reunifying a fractured professional game. And that, that's a very big statement, Alan, because if they actually do go down that path, then that is the PJ tour acknowledging that live tour is legitimate. And that's been very hard for them to say. And to Ryan's point about just how petty and crazy the whole thing is, no, this really didn't get much focus this year, but the idea that the RNA which presents itself and its championship with a great deal of confidence, disinvited Greg Norman from its champion's dinner. He is a former champion. It's one of the things twice. And now we can't come to your dinner just because you don't like what he's doing politically and he can't play in your, you know, your four hole exhibition. I mean, that in itself uh, showed such an intense level of pettiness that it's uh, Bobby Jones would be spinning in his grave. So, you know, to the question of, you know, what's what's the Masters going to do or what the, what's the USGA going to do? If they want to be true to their actual convention, convection, convictions, they have to invite anybody who qualifies. They can't possibly even think about blocking somebody because of their association with Live Tour. It's not like they're Angel Cabrera in jail. They've just decided to play professional golf elsewhere. 
for a startup to use Hudson Swafford's term, which was kind of rich, but he's like, I just changed jobs. I went to a startup. It's like, well, it's not, it's not two guys in a, in, in their garage. You know, this, this is a well-capitalized startup, but um, yeah, I, I agree. And we've kicked this around before there's no way Augusta is not going to invite people who are otherwise qualified. That's not going to happen. Dustin will be there. Cam Smith will be there. Phil will be there. But where, where it does get interesting is if you look at the world rankings right now, there's there's a handful of live guys who are in the, the mid-40s of the OWGR. Top 50 at the end of this year in two weeks get into the Masters. And Taylor Gooch is one. He's been a lightning rod all year. Um, Kevin Na, you know, one of the original kind of live defectors, um, Brian Kokrak. There's, there's, there's a few, there's a few guys, oh, Harold Varner, they're hanging on by their fingernails, that top 50 spot and how the math works out in these next couple of weeks is going to be fascinating. And, um, so I don't think that they're obviously not headliners, but any of those guys are good enough to win a masters if they're in the field potentially. And so, uh, if they, if they slip out of the top 50, um, that's going to be a, a big talking point, and that that will put a little pressure on the Green Jackets because um, they do have the ability to invite anybody they want beyond um, that that top fifty. So we'll see how that plays out. That to me is actually a really interesting piece of it. The, the big guys are going to be there; they've earned their right. Fred really is not going to stand in the schoolhouse door and prevent them from from coming coming you know onto the property. That's just not happening. But guys who you know, the masters can always fall back. Say, Hey, the criteria is a criteria. We're not going to change it. Then there's going to be some live, live casualties. And, and that's a little more interesting. A byproduct of these guys who are in their early to mid forties, who may uh, have a hard time competing against these guys who are coming up in their early twenties and are kind of lost with trying to figure out a career path <laughs> is a byproduct of the tour not moving that age from the champions tour from 50 down to whatever, maybe 45 or 44 and giving guys this tweener path between either staying and competing on the tour or going to what would be a champions tour and not evolving with sort of the, the younger, the youth movement of the game. <laughs> this all it keeps layering and layering around like, you know, what else was Henrik Stenson or Paul Casey or Lee West? What were these guys supposed to do? <laughs> just not play for five years and just, you know, pack it up. Like, again, it's just, it, the, the whole thing is, is fascinating to me. Uh, you know, and, and, and you world ranking the board of the world ranking, the rules of what you can and can't do, what is ranked or not ranked, raising the price of Q school in the middle of all of this craziness that gets you under the corn fairy tour, which means to me, again, the richest kids make it and not the best kids. And then what becomes the PGA tour five years, 10 years from now, if we keep making it harder, more expensive to try to make it to the tour, like it just, you know, and it, this is why, this is why I think, Ryan has has built such an incredible following based on his his focus on what we deem dreamers and why we're going to launch this series called The Grind showcasing what it's like for these people out there on these you know on this 
adventurous journey to try to make it. It's, it all feeds down to that, right? Like that, that's why I say I'm not pro live. I'm sort of anti tour. And if, and if this disruption needed to happen in which we're able to, you know, pull back the cover on the control the tour has had on professional golf and the monopolistic control over professional golf, that in itself is worth rooting for to me, media rights, you know, the narratives. And I use that example all the time. Rex Hoggard is a really good reporter. He's a quality guy. This has nothing to do with Rex Hoggard. But on that court case in Northern California, when it was live players versus the PGA Tour, and Rex Hoggard was reporting live outside that courtroom, wearing a PGA Tour logo on his shirt, that to me is a big part of the problem. And he was doing that without ironing. We were supposed to, as consumers of the news of the game on the Golf Channel, supposed to, uh, you know, take that in without irony or, or, you know, understanding of the situation is crazy to me. Did you guys happen to see this Bob Riley from PNC bank get on with uh, Dan Hicks today? He was wearing a blue shirt with no logo on it. I'm like, that's a shocker. You're supposed to be selling PNC. It was kind of delightful, but I couldn't believe it. I, I personally love the CEO interview. It's one of my favorite parts of our telecast. It's <laughs> so cringy. And it's so bad. It's good. Like I look forward to it. It's this like, guy was good today. <laughs> the first company that goes, you know, I'm not going to put like if just say, hey, we're going to skip the CEO uh, interview to spare all of you. Like it's going to be the biggest thing on Twitter ever. You know, be like the the CEO of PNC knows you're going to be bored shitless if he comes on here. So we're going to skip that interview, and everybody's going to go. I'm going. To, I'm switching all my money to PNC right now. I, I think if the CEO came on and said, I know the last thing you want to do is hear from me. So yeah. I am going to take my microphone off. I'm going to get up off this set. I'm going to go back where I belong, which is in the corporate hospitality tent with all of my yeah. top clients. And I'm going to leave this to the professionals and they can yeah. communicate to you how good we are at what we do and how much money we're spending to support this tour. Did you hear Annika's PNC shout out at the end? I mean, that shows you what a hard invitation this thing is to get. She went directly into the camera with it. She wasn't just like in passing. She was like turned to the camera and was like, thank you to PNC. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. No, there was. there was. You can probably get into this field anytime. Annika is one of the greats of all time, not to take anything away from Annika, but she does have that Bernhard Langer, Germanic kind of quality. Of course, she's a Swede. But when she talks about her heart doing this and the tears behind her glasses, but in that dead flat Annika way, it just actually makes me laugh. (laughs) It was the most emotional moment of my entire life. Yeah. She said, this was really fun. Her kids like just laughing and giggling. And she's like, it was The kid great. was great. Yeah, the kid was really Oh, great. he had a lot of swag, man. He's walking in putts, wearing Jordans. I mean, yeah. shout out to Will Sorenstam, who, who made it fun for sure. Uh, well, another yeah, was, reason there should be an age limit on the uh, PNC. Okay. I'm, I support it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. When. When when you're a grandfather, you shouldn't be able to play with your child. Like you know, I mean, I don't yeah. know if Cass has any kids or not, but it's getting it's getting that's a little what I'm sussy. Saying. Yeah, I, any board that has any input into the greater scheme of like the game of golf from a pres- professional standpoint that doesn't have Ryan French on that board, I'm not for it anymore. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to draw a hard line on 
If Ryan I'm going to be the guy, I'm going to be the guy who tells Charlie Woods he's he's peaked. I was like, ah, unfortunately, Charlie, you've you've over the 15 year old. I would age give you limit. that. I would let you have that. Make that help. Make that decision. Like you should be on the board of the OWGR as a kind of a face and a and a and a and a supporter of all the other tours out there, making sure. You know, doing what you know probably Keith Pelly tried to do, but met, probably out got voted, got got outvoted on the board by all the others. But I mean, I, I just think you got to like. Why don't we go around and collect a little bit of perspective from a variety of different entry points instead of just like the boys' club that's in control of the 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 upper echelon of of golf? Like, how is there not players on the board of the OWGR? Like, how, how is that biased, possible? But yeah, it would be nice if not every important decision in golf was made in the grill room at Seminole, right? Yeah, like we need like, we need a few different perspectives. A little bit of you yeah. know, like maybe a, a former player could get on the OWGR. Or, yeah, no, that, yeah, and a former player would make sense. It was like Nick Price going to the USGA, like that. That made I liked that. You know, Jason Gore before him. Um, certainly, having having guys who who have been between the ropes is is valuable. But I, I agree, Ryan French for president. I I put Ryan on the I mean, Supreme Court. I mean, why yeah. stop with golf? Like, yeah. You know, we need some Midwestern sensibilities, some down home yeah. Alpina wisdom. And I, and I like Mike Wan, by the way. I, I think Mike Wan, I, I have a, so much hope and faith in Mike Wan and what he could potentially do now that he's where he's at at the USGA. I, I mean, I'm hoping and praying that he's going to have, you know, uh, Fred Perpall. Like I, these, like there is, there are these glimmers of hope. Uh, uh, around and and I've and I've got a lot of respect uh, for Seth Waugh. I, I There, you know, come on, guys. Like, let's let's make sure that this game continues to evolve in ways that does make people feel a little uncomfortable. It's you know, the people who feel a little uncomfortable for where the game is going should feel a little uncomfortable. We should be comfortable in a variety of people feeling uncomfortable with the direction of the game. Otherwise. It's not going in the right direction. Mike Wan, very, I mean, I agree, Matt, uh, great. And uh, I saw him in a very small setting uh, at the Symmetra, what was the Symmetra now, the Epson Tour uh, Tour Championship. Ten, ten women got their LPGA cards and their families. You know, there's 50 people in the, in the room. And uh, he made a, a great speech and yeah, I mean, a ton of respect. He's like, you know. Uh, there's going to be veterans out there like Christy Kerr who, you know, are going to squeeze you out of the range. And he's like, get your ass up there and push her to the side. Tell her you got enough. I mean, it was a very, very cool speech and ton of respect. And he uh, went around and talked to all 10 of the girls that had women that had gotten their card. And it was very much like, Hey, you belong. You're part of this tour too. And, you know, I want to hear your voice as much as, you know, I know he said what he was supposed to say, but it just felt very sincere. I was, mad respect for him and and i agree in the position that he is i he seems to be outspoken and a, a like a born leader so i hope he can can say the things that that some people don't want to hear i love that well this is a, a busy week at the fire pit collective so just to give uh, listeners a little rundown of what they can look forward to um Michael and I and Jeff Ogilvie taped a sort of a preview podcast about the Sandbelt Invitational, which is teeing off uh, Sunday afternoon in the U.S., Monday morning in Melbourne. One of the really cool events in golf. I'll be writing about it every day for firepitcollective.com. 
We have Benny Westcott and Colt Nedler on the ground in Melbourne. They're going to be doing all kinds of cool uh, social cuts and and bring the tournament to life. Uh, when it's over, we're, we're going to get Jeff and hopefully the winner on for a pod. So uh, that's happening. We have uh, Need a Fourth, our new podcast, which launched uh, a month ago. Hopefully, y'all have been listening to that. We have a uh, a blockbuster guest for that drops every Wednesday. Michael and I are very excited about that. We um, it's already been taped. It's being edited, and it was, it was a really lovely, interesting conversation so can i just uh, say guys i hate to interrupt but like you know i am loving (laughs) this podcast and you guys and the guests you've had on so far mike mills michael murphy brando chambly i I mean everyone i mean it is as good as a golf podcast gets in my opinion you know thoughtful intelligent perspectives plus another fourth and the conversations that are happening and the stories that are being told it's can't miss. It's incredible. It, it's well, you're nice to say that Matt. And I, I, I really do feel that way. And I think, uh, you know, for those who have not had a chance to hear Jeff, he is absolutely one of the most thoughtful, intelligent, insightful people in all of golf. Those who covered Jeff when he was in his playing prime would have, would have known that for a while. Um, but this is another chance to see just a very intelligent, thoughtful, analytical person uh, at work, and you know, and uh, Alan's works uh, uh, literally speaks for, speaks for itself. So it's been it's been great. And then just to dovetail on on that one thought, you know, we've spent a lot of uh, this time together, and all of us who are interested in professional golf, sort of consumed with the PJ Tour versus Lib. It certainly has been the biggest story of the year. But when you get to that need of fourth, it's just a welcome departure from all of that because we're not going down that road. It's not It's not like we're not trying to or trying to. It's just that we get somebody on there and the conversation goes where it goes. So like we had Brandel on the other day and Brandel talked about the golf swing because that's sort of like his entry point to the game in the first place. Uh, so it's kind of a nice break. Yes, and, and accurate and, and a part of it. And, you know, when I started at the Golf Channel, Kelly Tillman, Rich Lerner, and Brandel Chambly identified themselves early on as people who were willing to give me time and serve as a mentor in terms of how to do TV. Because there's not a lot of, you don't go through a training program of like, okay, this is how you do TV. They just like, they put a microphone on you, you put on makeup and you're on TV. You're supposed to, you're supposed to sort of understand (laughs) what you're supposed to do, where to look. And you, it gets very confusing very fast. And it's a, it's a, it talk about a pressure cooker. It, it happens when that red light goes on and Brandel and we, I've gotten to know Brandel, you know, outside of work, our wives are, are very good friends. And it was so cool to, uh, you know, show that side of him to more people than just the live from side of him in which as he says, he gets paid to sort of explain the why and, and he gets paid to, you know, to have an opinion on all of that. But there is this really, really cool side of Brandel that I think that's part of what got exposed in that podcast was just his general love for the game, for the literature around the game, the study of the swing and the game, his, his admiration and respect for 
you know, Jeff and his place in the game, and that went both ways, and his respect and appreciation for other journalists. I mean, it's just a it's a it's a side of Brandle that not a lot of people get to see, and I hope people are able to either see or listen to that because it's important. He he's an important piece of this puzzle that that makes up perspectives that talk about the game, and he is willing to say what he you know feels, and it's it comes from well-researched, you know, analytics or, or, or thoughts. And I just think it's it, it in that in itself is why this, this podcast matters. And I can't wait for this week's guest because I know who it is. And it's, it's, he's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks for all that. And, um, brand my, my new favorite new phrase, uh, I was texting back and forth with Greg Norman, which will surprise some people, but, um, and he concluded one of his texts by saying, Thanks for being a solid part of the golf ecosystem. And I, it makes me laugh. It feels like a team of consultants came up with that, but um, Brandel is a solid part of the golf ecosystem and it was, it was fun to have him. And I think we can agree that uh, Matt Janella, Ryan French, Michael Bamberger are very solid parts of the golf ecosystem. Um, so not everyone will agree with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty positive. Not everybody's going to agree with can it. I, quick, quick nod to a, uh, to a, a, a member, a longtime member of the uh, the golf ecosystem, uh, Raj, the course whisperer, had his final event this week. Oh yeah, and uh, he's oh. been in our lives all our lives. Uh, Love him. Uh, yeah. So anyway, he ha- he represents a nonchalance that golf needs more of. Yes, I was going to say I don't know if Roger's a great analyst or not. I just he's just fun to hang out with like. I'm in my living room, you know, I was actually doing a little household project and it's just like, I love to listen to Rod. It's just like a, it's like, like talking on the phone with a buddy. It's a one way conversation. He's only talking to you, but there is, it is, it's sad to see him go. I, I'm hopefully he'll find another, another landing spot, but um, yeah, I think, thanks for the tip of the cap because Roger is a very solid part of the golf ecosystem. And maybe a future need a fourth. I mean, you guys need a fourth on a regular basis. You know, maybe Raj will, will make his way into the, into the, uh, that's a great idea. That Coming in smoking heaters, like yeah. just dart yeah. after great. dart. Just, great. <laughs> yeah. Ryan's still trying to get, you know, William Morris to sponsor Nina fourth or yeah. the fire drill or something. <laughs> I, love I just smoker. don't think it's going to happen, Ryan. I'm sorry. Right. I don't think it's lucky. We tried jewel last week. And, yeah. Jewel. <laughs> Matt, Matt, what's that thing in San Francisco where they go in the tents and they go away for a while? Huh? It's the like Bohemian the, Grove, the Bohemian, Bohemian Grove. Grove. I yeah. knew yeah. you'd come up with it right down uh, the street from the Alistair McKenzie uh, Northwood Golf Course. Okay, well, Raj goes to that. One year, he's telling me about you know some musician who was in the tent next to him, and it was Bob Weir from you know The Dead or something. <laughs> my my dad actually, as an engineer for Bechtel Power had a job of going in and working on the infrastructure of Bohemian Grove. He couldn't talk about it. I, you know, uh, I've got to ask him about it. Um, uh, my dad, um, like Ryan's father has dementia, but still is able to recall uh, in great detail some of the stories that, uh, of some of the jobs he's worked on. Um, it's a short-term memory that obviously is really, really, really troubled. But he had he had a very interesting time at the Bohemian Grove, and I actually got to go in one day with him as a young kid. And I I can remember just the redwoods and the sort of the darkness that was created by the redwoods and stories of guys just you know you can kind of pee anywhere. It's like you know it's so <laughs> it's quite a, it's quite a quite a quite a uh, a fraternity of stuff. God only knows what happens at the Bohemian Grove. 
Well, an- another member of uh, or another attendee at Bohemian Grove is Michael Murphy, a Anita Fourth podcast guest. So it all comes full circle. Um, all right, well, let's end this fire drill. Um, shout out to uh, Roger Malpy and Charlie Woods and VJ Singh and everyone in between for uh, enlivening this conversation. Uh, we do these every Sunday. Oh, yes, Michael? Elin. Oh, and yes, uh, Elin. Easy to get sidetracked. Um, so we do these every Sunday. Hopefully you, uh, you guys have caught on to that. It's it's an ongoing conversation that will never end, um, hopefully. And uh, we'll be back again. Next week, it's going to kind of be the end of the year. I think Michael and Ryan and I are... Th- our, we've cooked up a plan to do kind of our low-key year in review and talk about our favorite moments and the biggest stories, and that, that should be a fun one as well. So uh, we appreciate your loyalty and fidelity as listeners. Uh, there's a lot of golf podcasts out there, but thanks for listening to ours. For uh, Matt Janella and Ryan French and Michael Bamberger, I'm Alan Shipnuck. This was a Fire Drill Podcast, and uh, that's it. Thanks. I bet big and I played the win. Made a fortune when my ship came in I ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about Thoughts in my head Can't get them out Trying not to think What I'm thinking about This is Malcolm Gladwell From Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride With some elbow grease Fresh installs And a whole lot of love You transformed 100,000 miles And a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.